you're with us here this morning and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles right now with Bibles. Just get their attention and they'll <clears throat> deliver one into your hands and mark to the place where we'll be studying today so you can listen to the word, but also read along uh, with your own eyes. Sunday morning, we're looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And uh, we'll pick things up. Same passage we looked at last week will just be. Uh, enlarging on some things in, in those verses and then a little more broadly in uh, the next couple of chapters. Jesus speaking here in John 14, verse 15, speaks to his disciples. That's us. Know the Lord. If you love me, he said, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this book and the privilege of being able to turn to it. We thank you that it is the living book that it is. We thank you for every bit of instruction that is found in it, every bit of revelation. We thank you, Father, for our Savior's teaching. And, Lord, we're happy for all of it. We are always glad when he speaks to us of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray, Lord, that your Spirit would be active in this room today, that he would witness to Jesus today, and, Lord, that we would learn more about his ministry in our lives, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In John's Gospel, chapters 14 through 16, we have one of the greatest revelations of the Holy Spirit to be found in all of the Bible. And uh, I don't say that one section of the Bible is greater than any other section of the Bible or that the Gospels are greater than the epistles or anything like that. But this revelation is very, very dear to us related to the Holy Spirit because it's given to us by the highest authority of all, and that is Jesus himself. Obviously, our understanding, because Jesus makes this ministry of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit, such a, a great and ongoing subject that he speaks to the disciples on his final night with them before the crucifixion. It's obvious that it's very important to him that both them and us as, as his disciples understand the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So this morning I want to continue Jesus' revelation of the Holy Spirit, which we began last week. And last week we learned that the Holy Spirit is a person. Why that's important. We learned that the Holy Spirit provides us with the how behind the what of God's Word. He gives us the power to possess every promise that is in God's Word. He gives us the power to obey every commandment. That is found in the Bible. He gives us the ability to live a Christ-like life, to live an obedient life. And then finally, we saw that the Holy Spirit is another helper, a helper just like the first one, just like the first helper, Jesus. And that the Holy Spirit will never ask us to do anything 
that is inconsistent with the scriptures or inconsistent with what we know about Jesus. And one of the reasons that that's important is it helps people relax related to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So they say, well, I know a little bit about the Father. I'm comfortable surrendering to him. I know a little bit about Jesus. I, I like what I see in him. I'm comfortable surrendering to him. But the Holy Spirit, I mean, I've seen some things and heard some things through the years, and he sounds like a strange uncle or something in the family, and I'm not as comfortable with him. And when we realize that he is another helper, just like Jesus, we realize he's absolutely safe to surrender our lives to and, and to have him express himself through us. I think that very often many people tend to think of the Holy Spirit only in terms of physical miracles, that he's uh, just kind of the power source of Christianity, that uh, we think of him in terms of, uh, you know, doing some kind of a miracle, feeding the 5,000 or cleansing a leper, raising somebody from the dead, healing the sick, this kind of thing, or that the Holy Spirit is only involved in the really, really big needs in our lives. Uh, and uh, the Jesus' teaching here reveals to us that while his ministry certainly includes that, and we love all of that, this morning we'll see that he wants to be involved in our lives much more broadly than even that. Notice in verse 16, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit abides with us forever. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon men and women at different times in order to uh, empower them, in order to anoint them to accomplish some great task that he called them to do, to fulfill some great calling that he called uh, them to do. But when that task was accomplished, the anointing of the Holy Spirit would then be lifted off of them. That's why David cried out in Psalm 51, his great psalm of repentance following his uh, adultery with Bathsheba. And he said, do not take, he said, do not cast me away from your presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And what part of what David was concerned about was that his sin would mean the end of God's calling upon his life as the king of Israel, that God would then lift his spirit off of him. David had no hope of being the king of Israel, that God intended him to be independent of the Holy Spirit. And so he enjoyed that special communion that the Holy Spirit brought into his life, and, uh, and he didn't want that to come to an end. And here what Jesus does and speaks to us as Christians is that the Holy Spirit would come and abide with us forever. And the reason in this new covenant, in Jesus' blood, the reason that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and upon our lives and then never leaves is because our ministries are never over. Now, all through this life, our lives are given in order to be a witness uh, to Jesus and then our ministries to Jesus and to the Lord will continue on into eternity. I think that it is wonderful to realize that the simplest Christian, the simplest saint in this new covenant in Jesus' blood 
enjoys a security concerning the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, a relationship with the Holy Spirit that the Old Testament saints could only dream of. Doesn't matter who we are, if we're a Christian in this room, we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit that the Old Testament saints, if they had known that this was going to be ours and the promised Messiah, they would have been smacking their lips all of their lives. The privilege that is ours to know the Holy Spirit in this way. Now, later in verse 17, Jesus declared that the Holy Spirit would not only would be not only merely with us, as was the case selectively in the Old Testament, but in us. And I'll tell you, I never, ever want to lose my awe over the fact that because of Jesus' sacrifice for our sins, that that sacrifice has made a way for God Almighty and the person of the Holy Spirit to indwell someone like me and to indwell someone like you. Don't ever lose your awe over this. And sometimes we'll hear the invitation of the gospel given. That if we'll give our lives and put our trust in Jesus' death upon the cross for our sins, his burial, his resurrection, that he is the satisfying payment for our sins, surrender our lives to God, that at that moment in time, God Almighty and the person of the Holy Spirit that will will then come into our lives as the greatest miracle that occurs anywhere on the face of the earth because it's an eternal miracle that happens in a person's life. And sometimes we can hear these things as Christians so often and over and over again. I mean, there can be a yawn inside. We're already thinking about lunch or whatever. Never, ever should we lose awe over the fact that God has found a way for the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and for us to have a relationship with God in that Holy Spirit forever and ever. It is unbelievable because it represents unbelievable grace. Now, notice in verses 16, and Jesus says much the same thing in verse 26. Notice that Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. Now, this tells us that the Holy Spirit will never, ever lie, that the Holy Spirit can always be trusted to tell us the truth. Now, I don't know where you go for truth in life. I don't know if you have a relationship in your life that you can always trust to always tell you the truth about yourself, the truth about life. The truth about heaven, the truth about God, the truth about salvation, the truth about all of these things. Our moms will lie to us. Our children will lie to us. Our parents will lie to us sometimes. Husbands will lie to their wives. Honey, does this dress make me look fat? That what husband can answer that question? And not be in the doghouse. The Spirit will never, ever lie to us. And I like that because I need that. One of my favorite descriptions of the Bible in the whole Bible is that the Bible is a mirror. One of the things about mirrors is they don't lie. They just report the facts. 
whether we like them or not. They don't change the truth. They're brutally honest, wonderfully honest. And as we ask the Holy Spirit to tell us the truth about ourselves, he'll always be faithful to do it. Very often we're, as we're reading God's word and we'll hit a passage that just immediately fills us with conviction concerning wrongdoing or concerning some area of carnality in our lives. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, tell us the truth about myself. Lord, make me like Christ. Tell me whatever you got to do for that to happen. And then, boom, it's like the Bible explodes to life as we're reading in our devotional. We go, oh, my. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit telling us the truth. Sometimes he doesn't even use the Bible. He can do it independent of the word of God. We say something in anger. Or we do something that is cruel to another person. And I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit can put us in the doghouse so quick that it makes our head swim, whatever that means. Fast. He's good. Bringing tremendous conviction. Telling us the truth about what he thought about just what happened two minutes ago. How he never wants to see that again. Now, here is how he wants that situation to be handled. And again, the next time we find ourselves in it. And I'll tell you, it's wonderful. And we need it, I think, especially as adults, because who's going to tell us the truth about ourselves? The Holy Spirit doesn't do it. Who's going to tell us when we're wrong, when we need to hear it? Children still have their parents to do it. But what happens when we grow older in life? We find ourselves in some position in life where nobody will tell us things. Or maybe we even secure that kind of a position where we just go on about our business. And we just have some kind of an occupation and we keep to ourselves in the neighborhood and friends and away from friends and all of this. And nobody has the ability to speak into our lives because we've built our lives in such a way that we don't allow for it. Then we become a Christian. And the Holy Spirit is very good at telling us the truth about ourselves. And I, don't, I don't begrudge that at all. I don't look at that as a negative thing at all. Think about what a shallow, pitiful person I would be more than I am already. If it weren't for the ministry of the Holy Spirit continually telling me the truth about myself and then changes that he wants to make. It's a wonderful thing. Sometimes a Bible teacher will ask the Lord <clears throat> later that day or that evening, Lord, how did that sermon go? He'll always tell us the truth. He can encourage us that it went well. Say, I liked all of it, but I didn't like that. Don't ever do that again. Don't ever tell that joke again. Don't ever say it that way again. And so it is with every area of Christian ministry. I tell you, getting the truth isn't easy in this fallen world. And the Holy Spirit will always be faithful to tell us the truth. And nowhere is that more important. And nowhere is getting the truth more difficult than related to the things that are most important in life. Where do we find the truth out about God? About salvation? About heaven? 
about everlasting life and forgiveness and heaven and hell. There's so many voices speaking today, claiming to speak for God, and, but the Holy Spirit is the one who we can always trust to tell us the truth. And this tells us that until we're born again spiritually, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we are completely vulnerable to the lies and the deceptions that, 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 concerning this life and the life to come. Over and over again, I have heard younger Christians who are new to the Bible. They're growing in their knowledge of the Bible, maybe in their early days or weeks or months of their Christian life. And they'll say, you know, I was talking with somebody. I was watching the television at this Bible teacher that was on there, and I heard someone teaching such and such. And, you know, it just didn't sit right with me. I don't know how, but somehow I just knew that it was wrong. And they'll explain the thing that they heard being taught. Then those of us who know maybe a little bit more about the Bible were able to say, you're exactly right on that. Let me show you what the Bible really says about that situation. You show them the verses there in the Bible. And and then you realize that it was the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth within them that was protecting them supernaturally from being drawn into a lie and instead diverted them away from the false teaching. And into the truth. The Lord is absolutely trustworthy. The Holy Spirit is in this way. And as we'll see, anything that he speaks to us will never contradict the Bible, the word of God, because he's the author of the book. Now, number three, notice in verse 17 that the world cannot receive him. He said the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. We could translate it just as easily this way. The world cannot perceive him because it neither sees him or knows him. Now, because people cannot see the Holy Spirit, they refuse to believe that he's real. They refuse to believe that he's active in the world. They don't believe in anything that they can't see. But without a radio, radio waves go completely unnoticed. They exist. They're active in the atmosphere all around us, all day, every day. As soon as you get a radio, you discover there's an entire world that exists that you didn't know anything about. And so... It is, so much of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world every day is completely missed by people because they're not saved. They haven't been born again yet spiritually, so they have no capacity to recognize it. If someone were to get up in front of a crowd in the 21st century and they were to deny the existence of all of these radio shows and all of these television shows that are floating around and through the atmosphere all around us, We'd say that they were crazy. So what are you talking about? Go down to Best Buy's and get yourself a radio and get yourself a television and you'll discover there's a whole world going on of activity around you that is happening. You just don't have the capacity to draw it in or to recognize it. From the vantage point of heaven. It's equally crazy for a person to deny 
the real and active ministry of the Holy Spirit in the world. Especially when all a person needs to do to discover that realm and all of that activity, all of that beauty is to just simply be born again. And then all of a sudden we realize how much is going on around us. The unbelief of so many people is concerning the Holy Spirit is really just a self-fulfilling prophecy. They don't believe because they can't see, but they can't see because they refuse to obey God's instruction concerning how to be able to see. They, they refuse his instruction on how to buy the radio, so to speak. They refuse to be born again, and then they use their lack of sight as a reason for rejecting the entire spiritual realm. And they think that God is to be blamed for it when the blame lies completely with them. The Bible says as much. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 14. But the natural man, one who's not born again yet, does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Unbelief in this world. Concerning the activity of the Holy Spirit is no reflection on the Holy Spirit himself, but always a reflection on the person who is unbelieving. The solution is simple to simply be born again, have God's Holy Spirit come into our lives. And now we'll begin to recognize how active the Holy Spirit is in this world around us. We'll begin to recognize that activity all over the place. And so the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, is hugely active in the world today. Notice number four in verse 26, that the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. Jesus said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Oh, good. I don't have to learn calculus. He's not talking about math. He's not talking about engineering. How handy would that be? But he teaches us all things that are even more important than that. He'll teach us all that we need to know about God, about spiritual things, about moral things. Do you realize that we cannot truly understand a single thing in the Bible apart from the Holy Spirit? takes the Holy Spirit to open the book up to us in order to teach us. And this is why sometimes before we become a Christian, the Bible, it just seems so dead to us. It's just an impossible to understand book. I remember, and maybe you have a similar story in your own life. I remember being a young boy, probably about seven or eight years old. As if I would be eight years old. And... Uh, the uh, attempting to read the Bible and before I became a Christian and finding it just virtually close to my understanding. And I remember one time I was sick as a boy at that age, and we had a friend, family friend named Dorothy Culbertson in Napa, California. She's long gone on to be with the Lord now. You'll see her in heaven. She'll be, she's got uh, courtside seats. Trust me. 
That was a special, special woman. So she was at our house helping my mother uh, with some things. And and I was sick in bed. And and, you know, you're wanting to read something or do something to kill the time. And so I had this little book of Mark Twain's quotes. I don't know why I had it, but I had it. all these little pithy sayings of his. And so I asked if somebody would get that for me. Well, there's no way Dorothy Culbertson was going to bring me Mark Twain's wisdom. She said, you know, there's a book like that in the Bible. It's the book of Proverbs. It is full of all kinds of sayings like that. I said, great. Haven't read that before and thought to myself. And so why don't you bring that to me? And so she brought me a Bible and she had opened it up to the book of Proverbs and uh, and she gave it to me to begin to read for my enjoyment. I might as well have been reading Chinese. I couldn't understand that book, not to save my life. I couldn't understand what was being said. But once the author, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart. Wow. The book just explodes to life. I can't tell you how many people I've known through the years that have become Christians. They picked that Gideon's Bible up in a hotel room or they did this or that exposure to the Bible. Just as they couldn't make rhyme or reason out of it. It was it was as dead as could be to them. And then in the in the early days and weeks of their Christian life, They'd read the Bible from end to end. You say, what's the change between not being able to make sense of half a verse to having a hunger for it and understanding of it from Genesis to Revelation? The author came inside their life and made it alive to them and was teaching them as they were reading it. It's a wonderful experience that the Holy Spirit gives Or they begin to get, and this is all going on even today. Somebody says, I I want to learn more and more and more about this Bible. And so they get the MP3s. Back in the old days, it was the CD tapes. You plunk them in one right after another. And Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. would read the Bible to you. He had that voice. And, and so the same things happens today, that supernatural hunger for the Word of God that the Holy Spirit brings. And this is why it's always good before reading the Bible or studying the Bible to just stop for a moment and pray for the Holy Spirit to give you revelation and to teach, teach me, Lord, whatever this passage is about. You show me what this is about related to my life. And, Lord, I want you to be actively involved. I just want to read this like any other book in life. I want you to be actively involved in my reading of your word. And the Holy Spirit will do that. That's why we pray before the services. It's not just some kind of a tradition, vain tradition that we're doing. But to ask the Holy Spirit to be involved in our study of the word. And he'll do that. I think of how many times again through the years I've heard, I just heard it again this last week. Someone say, talk about a passage that just jumped out to them. You hear people say so often, I've I've read that chapter a hundred times in my Christian life. And this time I read it and I saw something I'd never seen that there before. How can that be except the Holy Spirit is our teacher? 
wanting us to look at that lesson of that particular passage. It has something to speak to us. Now, at this time of reading through that chapter, that he wanted to speak to us something else when we read through it before. And that's how it is. And it all testifies to the supernaturalness of it. His the supernatural involvement of the Holy Spirit in our Bible reading and in our Bible study. It becomes a living book because of him. Sometimes we can be studying a Bible passage on our own or maybe we're listening to a sermon at church. And up to now, you've read this passage over and over and over again. And you say, Lord, I I still don't have the foggiest idea what that means at, at all. And then in an instant, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just gives you revelation that this is the point of that passage. It's like Eureka. (laughs) And when that light goes on, and the Holy Spirit has revealed, either through human instrument or just on His own, the main meaning and purpose of a passage in God's eternal Word, it's one of the greatest things that a person can experience in life. As great as any physical miracle that God can do in the world. That kind of of revelation. When I was a new Christian, I heard a great Bible teacher declare, he said, I'm never afraid of the conclusions that a simple saint will come to who simply opens the Bible for themselves and then ask the Holy Spirit to lead them into truth. He said, what I'm really afraid of are those groups that try to get you away from the Bible and get you into their books. And that's very, very true. This also tells us that that the Holy Spirit loves to honor God's Word. The Holy Spirit loves to make much of God's Word. And through the years, sometimes I've heard Christians from a Pentecostal background I'm not talking about all Pentecostals. I'm not even talking about a minority of Pentecostals. So I want to be clear on that. I'm just talking about some Pentecostals. They come from a certain Pentecostal background. And they represent the Holy Spirit in a way that makes it appear that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are in some kind of competition with one another. That they're in opposition to one another. Sometimes I've even heard them quote Second Corinthians chapter three, verse six related to this. Who has made us sufficient as ministers of this of the new covenant? And then here it is, as Paul writes, not of the letter, but of the spirit. And here's what they're fond of quoting for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And they'll say the spirit is the one who gives life, but the letter kills. And they believe that the letter there is referring to the word of God. And uh, they equate it with that. And they say any service that's dominated by the word of God is a service that isn't dominated by the Holy Spirit. What they don't understand is that when Paul is writing that the letter kills, he's talking about the Old Testament law of Moses which was written to expose each and every one of us as sinners, to condemn us as sinners, in order that we might then turn to the Savior that has been sent to save us from our sin and then enter into the life of the Holy Spirit. It's not 
condemning the scriptures at all or indicating that the Holy Spirit is somehow envious of the word of God and and that it's the quickest way to quench a, a, a church service. They're absolutely compatible. The Holy Spirit is very interested in honoring the word of God. Now, last week we saw that if we only teach the what of God's word without also teaching the how of God's Holy Spirit that is given for us to obey the what of God's word, that we're going to produce very, very miserable condemned Christians. But there is the opposite thing is also equally true. We will create miserable, frustrated Christians if we teach the opposite imbalance that when a church teaches all about the how, but nothing about the what. Where there is that very strong emphasis on the how of the Holy Spirit but a neglect upon the what of God's word. Because now your arm forbear in terms of power, in terms of some understanding of the Holy Spirit. But we don't know why we've been empowered. We don't know what we're aiming at unless we also know the word of God. And so you've got these two ends of the spectrum so often in Christianity. But here's the emphasis on the what, the Word of God, but a de-emphasis upon the Holy Spirit. Here's a great emphasis upon the Holy Spirit, but a neglect of the Word of God. And when I have this great emphasis upon the Holy Spirit, but I don't know what the Holy Spirit, why the Holy Spirit has been given to me, and what he's aiming at and what he's trying to accomplish because I don't understand the Word of God, then I will come up with my own ideas about why the Holy Spirit is given. I will come up with illegitimate ideas because I don't know the legitimate reasons that are in the Scripture. And so you have experiences. I'm out of touch a little bit with some, some of this, the trends that, and winds of doctrine that go through the Scriptures. But I remember it was I, when I just simply gave up and said, I, I can't stand knowing anymore. When there was when there was barking in the Spirit being ascribed to the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit, when someone would begin to bark in a room or roar in a room like a lion, that this was the Holy Spirit. Or that people would get up and they'd be drunk, pretending they're drunk in the Holy Spirit, staggering down the aisles, falling out of their seats. And this, See, if you don't know legitimately the legitimate experiences of the Holy Spirit related to the Word, then you're going to make up the illegitimate. I remember one time they were ascribing to the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit was doing as a great miracle, turning people's silver fillings into gold fillings. Why wouldn't he just give them a new tooth? It's just dishonoring. I mean, it's just however you want to look at it. It's just like... You, you reduce, we reduce the Holy Spirit to a dog and pony show. And it's sad. 
I don't say it to make you laugh. It's sad that a person would have a great desire to know about the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and yet be kept ignorant of the purposes for which the power is given. It creates just as imbalanced and frustrated a Christian. No Christian should ever be forced to choose between an emphasis upon the Holy Spirit or the Word of God in a church that we attend. Because we need both the Word of God and the Holy Spirit in order to be what God wants us to be in the world. There isn't anything that we need to know about God. There isn't anything that we need to know about His ways that the Holy Spirit is ill-equipped or unqualified to teach us about. And there's no superior teacher in all of the world than the Holy Spirit. We don't have to go to some kind of a secret society or any place else in order to receive this kind of revelation. The Holy Spirit will give it to any of us. Notice number five in that same verse we're told that the Holy Spirit will bring all things to our remembrance. Chapter 14, verse 26. The ultimate fulfillment of this promise was in the completion of the New Testament scriptures. You say, how did the Holy Spirit inspire the New Testament scriptures? Well, he's got these disciples that are all eyewitnesses to what Jesus did. Let's just talk about the Gospels for a moment. They didn't understand half of what Jesus was saying, it seems like. How many times did he need to tell them that he was going to be die on a cross, be buried and rise again on the third day? And even the day ahead of time, they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. Like it's not going to happen. But following the baptism with the Holy Spirit into their lives, the author now comes into them and brings to their remembrance the entire ministry of Jesus that they had been watching, that they had been hearing his teaching and all, brought it to their remembrance for it to be recorded and the implications of the miracles and the teaching. He brought it to their remembrance. But it's not just related to the completion of the New Testament scriptures. As Christians, the Holy Spirit is also faithful to bring the scriptures to our remembrance as we have need. And that's very, very helpful because over time your mind becomes less a memory bank than a forgettery. I think one of the great experiences in life is to be talking with another Christian about some area of the Bible or sharing Christ with a non-Christian or teaching a Bible study and have the Holy Spirit just begin to start to bring scriptures to your remembrance. And it's just supernatural. He's doing it. Many times I've been in a conversation with people here in the fellowship hall after the service and a lot happens. The Holy Spirit's very active in that room. We just start talking about some spiritual subject and then they'll say something about the subject and then someone else is in the conversation and 
they'll bring another scripture to mind and then somebody else will share another verse that comes to their mind and its implications on the subject. And then another person shares a verse they haven't thought of for years and then it's back to the first person. By the time you get done, everybody understands this area of the Christian life in a way none of us had understood it before. And there's that realization that the Holy Spirit has been active in this conversation. As God is my witness, there have been times where I have left conversations in the fellowship hall, taken a seat back in a chair in the back of the room or gone into the back area, and I have written down and outlined, put an outline form What I just heard in that conversation, because I recognized that the Holy Spirit was involved in it, and I had never heard such clarity related to the subject in all of my life, and then to preach it somewhere down the line. This is the way he works. Fabulous. Now, the fact that he'll bring something to our remembrance requires that it be put in our mind to begin with. You can only bring to remembrance something that's always there. So it's not encouraging slothfulness on our part. Or it's not encouraging slothfulness on the part of the Bible teacher. It says, no, I don't study. I just get up here and say whatever the Holy Spirit tells me. You got to put it in there for him to bring it to your remembrance. Otherwise, we'll have a pretty iffy sermon in terms of actually aiming at something and hitting something. And so he'll be faithful to bring it to our remembrance as we need it. And that's good to know. You ever left a conversation and then you remember a great verse later on? Oh, that would have shut him down. I'm not talking about that kind of a conversation. (laughs) You say, Lord, you didn't bring it to my remembrance at the time. You brought to my remembrance what you brought to my remembrance. So I just leave it with you. And then finally, notice in verse uh, chapter 15, verse 26, the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me, Jesus said. Holy Spirit also loves to glorify Jesus. Notice in chapter 16, verse 14. He will glorify me, Jesus said, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit loves to point people to Jesus. He loves to witness to Jesus. He loves to add his amen, his that's the truth to any situation where Jesus is being spoken of, any situation where Jesus is being glorified. And if we want the Holy Spirit to be active in a church service in the way that he wants to be active, then all we need to do is to make much of Jesus, to speak of him, to point people to him. Jesus is who the Holy Spirit wants to say amen to. Not to any pope, not to any priest, not to any pastor. Not to any denomination, not to any non-denomination. None of that matters to him at all. He's all about glorifying Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't even draw attention to himself. 
but always to Jesus. And, and the moment a church or a church service becomes about something else other than Jesus, then the Holy Spirit withdraws his testimony. He withdraws his witness. He, he withdraws his participation. That's why so often you'll see a church begin get established in a community. It's all about Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. It's all that's going on. And there's the voice of the Holy Spirit behind the prayers that are prayed, the worship that's lifted up to the Lord because it exalts and glorifies the Lord. The teaching is full of Jesus. And then the church gets, God builds that church into something as an influence within the community. And then time can go on, and it's a great trend in, in Christianity in the United States of America today, where the church then is tempted to become more man-centered than God-centered. So the sermons are more and more about men and how God can make good people better when that isn't a fact at all. He makes dead people alive. That's his specialty. So it becomes all about man. And you go in there and it's highly interesting, highly entertaining, very intellectual. The problem is there's no witness of the Holy Spirit to it. It's the same thing related to worship. Is that so many worship songs are written and I thank God for all of these people that he anoints and he brings these songs into our lives as he anoints them and writes these worship songs through them is fabulous. But not all worship songs are fabulous. With a worship team, and, and I ask that they just run the songs by me before they're going to teach a new one. They've looked at it. They like it, that kind of thing. They run it by me. And then one of the things that I'm always looking for is, does it exalt Christ? Is it full of God? Sometimes there are songs that are just, I mean, they are just toe tappers to the max, and they're great. I like a toe tapper, but they got to be about God. There are some songs that are just absolutely fun to sing, but they're so full of I, me, and my, and there's so little of God, there's nothing for the Holy Spirit to testify to. And so we say, let's scrap it. Sometimes people catch me at the back door and they say, hi, we were visiting here today and it's our first time. And I say, well, it's nice knowing you. But um, we wanted to know a little bit more about the church and all. And I said, well, basically, you've seen what we are in one service. Pointing people to God in prayer and in worship and in the teaching of his word and then getting out of the way as fast as we can and leaving it to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit loves to testify to Jesus. He loves to glorify Jesus. And it's not just true of a church or a church service. It's also true of the individual life of a, of a Christian. It's only as we testify to Jesus, as we glorify him in our lives and in our conversation, that he's able to then add the supernatural witness to our lives that he desires. He feels no uh, compulsion to involve himself in a conversation about the 49ers. 
as wonderful as the draft was that they just had. And he certainly has no interest in entering into a conversation about the Raiders. So we lost half the church. The more we speak of Jesus, the more we give the Holy Spirit to testify to out of our lives. Let's just recap here this morning. This Jesus's revelation concerning the Holy Spirit thus far, because we'll probably be in this another couple of weeks after Gail uh, teaches next week. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit provides us with the how to live the what of God's word. He's another helper, just like the first helper, like Jesus. He'll never do anything, say anything, be anything inconsistent with the character, the life of Jesus. He abides with us forever because our service to the Lord is forever. He is the spirit of truth. He can't lie. He'll always tell us the truth about the most important things in life. The world can't receive him, but that's no reflection on him. It's always a reflection on them. He will teach us all things. That is, he loves to make much of the word of God. There isn't anything that we need to know about God and his ways that he can't teach us. Don't have to go to some special society in order to do to learn the deep things of the Lord. The Holy Spirit will lead us into it. He will bring all things to our remembrance. He loves to make much of Jesus and testifying to him and glorifying him. And Jesus wants us to know these things about the Holy Spirit. And so now we do. So it's been a good time. Let's stand together and we'll pray.